Fred, I want to um, go to you, hear your thoughts, and then we're going to talk more um, next about incorporating people who are working more from home and making sure that we don't lose the connection with them. But um, first I want to, it looks like you wanted to build off what Stacey and Jane were saying. So I, I think one of the things is, you know, to a certain extent, we, we still have older lawyers driving the bus, right? Because they're still the managing partners and they're still, you know, and, and I look at Citigroup and I look at Goldman Sachs as, as a good example here. Jamie Dimon wanted everybody back in the office you know, back, back, and, and Goldman Sachs said, wait a second, we may have a little more flexibility here. So I think it's really important for law firms to look to the younger lawyers, those associates that have been there for a while. And, and you know, it may break them, their heart a little bit, but they need to go and ask some questions. Because some of the things, Laura, that you just mentioned about you know, Wordle, I know, Jane, I, I just got that from my daughter. She said, it's, it's going rampant. You know, she said, Dad, you got to do this. You know, and but that's not something naturally that comes to, uh, you know, some of us that have been practicing almost 45 years. Right. So I think it is very important. This is generational because we went we did according to uh, according to a couple of studies, we did an advance in technology of almost eight years in eight weeks. You know, March and April, there's a couple of studies out there that say that we and Jane, we, you and I've been talking about doing a lot of this remote work and remote stuff for years, you know, on our future of the legal profession talks. And so I think it's incumbent upon the older lawyers, the, the senior management guys to go talk to some of the younger associates and say, okay, what would be interesting to do online? Flower building, wine tasting, not my cup of tea by any stretch of the imagination, but it's young, it's young lawyers love that stuff. And, uh, and, and so whatever it is, whatever it takes, I, that goes right back to that flexibility. Flexibility and also your point about asking and then listening, trying to build people in. So we have another viewer question that I want to segue in. As we're thinking about collaboration and camaraderie, this person asks, what are thoughts for encouraging people to be more engaged in remote meetings and get together who don't participate beyond signing on? And does the panel have thoughts on encouraging or requiring cam cameras on for some video meetings? I will start first, uh, noting that I read a lot of Business Insider, uh, Harvard Business Review, things of the like, and there are a lot of split articles on whether video conferences, they help for a lot of people. For others, they will say that they can be a little bit um, less productive and leading to burnout, that they like to mix it up with audio calls. There are some that say to really help cue in people working from home in order to use tools that everyone can see each other's faces, then you feel more connection. Jane, let's start with you. Do you have thoughts about encouraging or requiring cameras for some video meetings or encouraging people to be more engaged in remote meetings? Um, yes, I have some thoughts. Uh, I have done both and I've been part of meetings where both you've had to put on your um, video camera. I don't like that myself. Um, I react against being told I have to do that. On the other hand, um, there, it, it depends on what the meeting is. And 70% of our communication is visual. And now we're down to a little box. You know, we can't read body language. It's just our shoulders and face. So that's kind of important if you're trying to teach someone, uh, you know, something about presenting an argument, for instance. It might be important to see their face. Um, I think, uh, 
I do think the video is draining all day long, every day. It seems to be, and, and many lawyers say that, women don't want to put their makeup on every day, all day, but it's draining for men as well. And so one of the things that I think is important is if you have some people in the office and some people out of the office, either everybody's on their computers and video or nobody is and everybody's on audio. It equalizes it, right? Because if I'm a young associate and I see that most of my colleagues are in the office on this meeting, I'm gonna feel like I'm losing out if I have a different medium. So one of the things I would encourage is is equalize that by having everybody at the same, um, you know, using the same technology. That's a great point about using technology, trying to equal and level the playing field. Let's take that into the sphere of, we know that we've had an exodus of, for example, working parents and female lawyers during the pandemic. Some of them are finding that it's going to be harder to go back into the office with their family obligations. Stacy and Jane, would you like to talk about some thoughts you have? We know there are lots of different ways, as Jane just mentioned a few, trying to equalize, make sure that those who are working remotely are heard on an equal playing field, and so that people who are working more remotely, more hybrid, are still incorporated and uh, thought of as part of the team. I think that, I think that, that goes back um, perhaps to the beginning um, with Jane's comment about being thoughtful and strategic. Um, because people are remote, um, things cannot happen necessarily the way um, we used they used to happen, which is to pop into someone's office or to talk to the person you usually talk to um, because they're in the office. Um, if we're going to be, if we're going to, as leaders, try to be thoughtful about what our human resources look like and to develop um, a greater well of human resources as opposed to, um, you know, sort of catch as catch can, watching things just organically develop, we're going to have to be thoughtful. In other words, if I know that I've got um, young mothers or mothers on my staff who have um, uh, pick up drop off responsibilities and I have fathers who also want to be home and present with their children, um, then I need to be thoughtful about how I make uh, assignments and how I make them available. Um, so whether that is going to be putting them in a sort of centralized place so that everyone can see them when they go up and are posted, um, and or sort of, you know, having some method that they computer at the same time, or having a system where I am round robin going around, um, making sure that I am keeping track of what people's work assignments are and making sure that those assignments are um, meaty and provide um, mentorship opportunities. But the, but the bottom line point of it is, we have to be thoughtful in terms of making sure that assignments uh, that people can get assignments even when we can't see who we're giving the assignments to. It's a great point about making sure that people have opportunities for assignments because we know with assignments can come um, more opportunities also for professional development, uh, mentorship, promotions. Fred, it looked like you wanted to, to chime in on yeah. this and then we'll go to Jane and David. So, you know, it, the, 
you know, diversity and inclusion is a really important conversation on, on a lot of this stuff. And, and one of the things that, you know, law firms start to struggle, diversity and inclusion tend to be one of the things that falls to the bottom because, you know, you're trying to survive. And, you know, a lot of that, um, that conversation stops. So, you know, assignments, like you said, very important, who gets assignments and making sure that, that you, you know, you make, make yourself known that you need that assignment. Where I'm, where I'm seeing some, some, a little bit of unequalness is when we, everybody goes back to the office and some folks stay at, you know, haven't returned to the office. You know, are they getting the same opportunities, the same, the same FaceTime, the same ability? And, and a lot of that is, you know, it's almost what I would call, you know, sort of unconscious bias, right? It's the person that you've seen every day is always working. You say, wow, you know, that person X is in the office working every day. Well, person Y who's home may be working until three o'clock in the morning, you know, trying to get the projects done and, and is doing great work, but you don't have that same impression. So, you know, it, it, I know we've strayed a little bit from video calls and whether we should on, but it all goes the same thing. You know, trying to have some balance, video, telephone, and in the office, um, home, and trying to have some regulations and rules. I am really big on having this put down on paper as to what is to expect. I think it will help with those folks that end up staying at home more than those folks that end up in the office post-pandemic, because we're going to eventually get out of this. And the question is, what do we look like? What does the profession look like coming out? So I'll stop there. Those are very insightful points. So talking about how we want some balance between uh, video meetings, other avenues of collaboration in office, out of office, trying to make sure that we connect in those that are working more remotely, having this institutionalized was part of policies. Jane, I'd like to go back to you and see if you have thoughts about how we can incorporate this to make sure that our people who are working remote, uh, remotely do indeed, as, as Fred uh, mentioned about, there's a bias that has been mentioned in a lot of studies, even though we know productivity does not match with FaceTime, Sometimes managers will think that having more face time means more productivity. And how, what are some um, thoughts you have for leaders on trying to overcome this bias? Um, well, I would commend everyone if they haven't yet uh, read it, read the ABA Practice Forward survey that's on the ABA website. Um, there's a lot of very uh, concrete action items. And granted, it's you got to have some resources to help the situation of, of working mothers in particular who are feeling very overwhelmed. Some of the suggestions are reduce the billable hour requirements. That's gonna hurt the bottom line. How about do away with the billable hour requirements? That's still my hope, but that's, a, that's an issue for another day. But also um, some support for childcare um, and family care because a disproportionate burden is on women uh, working mothers and they get it on both ends if they have children and then they have their isolated parents that they have to deal with during this pandemic. So it's, it's a real challenge, but I think if we don't wanna backslide the progress that we have made over the last uh, few years anyway, and, it, and there's still work to be done, we really do need to address this in a 
um, a more holistic way, you know, not just because of the pandemic. The pandemic has shown a light on a problem that has been um, existing for a very long time. I read one article, I think it was in the ABA Journal. This woman said, yeah, I was doing it all. But then when I lost my live-in nanny, I realized I, I can't do it all. And so the pandemic has shown the cracks in the foundation of, of the profession in so very many ways. And uh, I, I would commend everyone to read that report and see whether any of those initiatives to support um, working mothers in particular, but also people of color who are, have been more hard hit by the pandemic um, could be incorporated into your firm's organizations. Jane, thank you for drawing attention, um, our attention to that report and those initiatives. There are a lot of inequities, as you said, the pandemic has shown um, a light on, and we don't want to slide back. We've made progress in some ways with the pandemic. David, I'd like to turn to you, and then we'll turn to Stacy. Sure, and I, I want to address the, the, the issue of bias you know, for those that, that may participate in different ways. And I'm coming at this from a law firm that quite a while ago made the decision to largely make things optional except for new hires are, are you know new people to, to the firm regardless of position whether you're a lawyer or one of the support team members um, you're expected to be in in the office for for the first six months uh, although we have changed that as there have been ebbs and flows uh, along the, the way um, and you know, we, whenever we come to bias, I, I think back to what my favorite part of judicial training is. I, I you know, amongst other things, I, I volunteer to be a temporary judge. And, and so every three years, I, I have to go in uh, for, for training on it. And frankly, some of it is a lot of repeat, but my favorite aspect is we, we do a bias test. And we, we, we look at, you know, what types of things that we might be biased or prejudiced for regarding you know, gender or, or race as being the primary factors. And the point is that everybody is gonna have some bias on some level, but it's being aware of it so that you can adjust for it is important so that it doesn't impact your judgment. Um, so I, I think that that's a lot of the answer here is making sure that those that are in supervisory positions that are in management roles understand what biases they may have, you know, in terms of the person that, that they have FaceTime with as opposed to the person who, who shows up when required to, to video meetings, but doesn't even have their camera on unless they, they are speaking and called on and forced to, to flip the switch. Um, so I, I, I think that's really the answer on, on that front. Um, I, I have to admit that my bias um, when it comes to, to the, those online video conferences comes from my time when the pandemic started and I was teaching law school and we had to move from that in-classroom experience to the remote experience. And there were very different approaches throughout my, my, my students to that. And that made it difficult for me as a teacher. And I wanted to give them the freedom to, to act how they thought was best for it. Um, but it made a difference in my mind. And, and the, the way that I tried to include those that had cameras off was um, 
I, I would probably call on them more when there weren't hands up in the room, simply because I wanted to make sure that they were still being included in the conversation. And maybe that that's that's something that works. Maybe it's unfair, you know, kind of picking on them that way. But that was my way of making sure that that people were feeling included. And I think that that's part of what we're talking about here is making sure that our lawyers are engaged because if they're engaged and they feel included, chances are that they're probably going to function better in their day-to-day -day work. That is true. Engagement and inclusive are also part of healthy work environments. It's so important on many levels. Stacey, would you please share your thoughts? Um, so I, I definitely agree with David on the engagement. And, and as you know, I'm probably one of those people who calls on people um, in meetings just to um, get conversation and engagement. Uh, I wanted to um, double back to um, uh, Fred's point about um, bias and culture. I think it's also important to think about what you may miss perceive or may not know um, related to culture. In other words, sometimes we, we, we're not, there, there you know, people from different cultural backgrounds who are not necessarily um, uh, brought up to be assertive or brought up to um, want to engage with authority. And that can be a barrier to interaction. It can be a barrier to advancement. And the interesting thing about it is, is that those who are in leadership positions, of course, we're all people, right? But then we see the position and we don't necessarily see the people. And so it could be the case that a person who is in a leadership role has their own level of anxiety and, and feelings about um, maybe even rejection when the, the uh, uh, associate or subordinate isn't contacting them. Um, they may feel some sort of way about it. And to be able to take that step back and hold those thoughts in abeyance to sort of, you know, okay, so I may feel that way, but I am in a leadership response, leadership role. So that means I need to lean into this um, and contact perhaps a subordinate and, and find ways to engage. And then again, still the reception of the subordinate may uh, be imbued with culture in ways that we don't understand, um, which only complicates, uh, I should say only, it complicates the, the communication. And when we're talking about this sort of video medium, this two-dimensional medium, I think we can just not lose sight of how those kinds of you know, body language things that we can't fully understand and appreciate, or maybe don't even feel comfortable saying, you know, I noticed you better your eyes right there. What's going on, right? Like, it, you know, whereas if you were in person, maybe you'd have a way to see other aspects of the body that would help you um, put two and two together and say, okay, that's not something to panic about. Um, so I just, I, I think that we really need to be mindful that when we're dealing cross-culturally, there likely are ways um, and things that are involved in that communication that we don't see, and we need to just be mindful and open to uh, not allowing it to impair the relationship. Being mindful is, is critical. I just want to put a plug in, too, for all attendees. Lawyers Concern for Lawyers in February is actually running a series on mindfulness run by uh, one of our clinicians. She's wonderful. If you are having a lot of stress in your life, which I know all of us are, 
please come and tend and it will be a, a great break in your day to use that mindfulness and to get into a better spot. Fred, let's hear your thoughts on this. Just, just along with a follow up with what Stacy said, you know, when someone is working remote in my office and I've got something I want to chat with them, I call them on their cell phone and it goes right to voicemail. So the first time that happens, you know, you're sitting there saying, wait a second, they're, they're not, wait, you know, whoa, 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 answer the phone, you know, because you can't walk down the hall. So, you know, I've, I've come to, uh, I've come to text, you know, send an email, can we, you know, but, you know, th these are the problems and there's a little bit of me, you know, David's got his biases, I, I have my biases that I sort of have that immediate need to talk to somebody, you know, if I've got a, a, a I want to know about a project or how you doing or where are we going with this, so that's a really important part of, of that communication remotely, you know, which you lose in the office because you can walk down the hall, knock on the door, you know, and yet they may be studying for the bar, but the fact of the matter is at least they're in the office and you can ask them the question. So that's it. You've got to think of things to get around that. And so maybe texting, maybe setting up some phone calls, whatever it may be. Again, going back to how do you structure this hybrid model is important. You bring up some great points about different communication mediums and different people's preferences. So some will prefer texting, some will prefer to call right away when they have a question. I know that some firms have instituted sort of like office hours. So it's times, particularly when those who are new and onboarded can call the mentors and check in. That way, rather than getting calls any time of the week, it's a more structured time that they can allow it rather than having it as impromptu um, discussions. With asynchronous messages, if your uh, team uses collaboration tools, you can also send messages saying, hi, I'd like to talk with you about XYZ. Can we meet in the next day or so? A lot of different mediums that people are, um, are using now. And I think if we people are just more aware and asking each other what the preferences are, that will help with communication. Jane, your thoughts. Yeah, I, I agree with your last comment, Laura. We need to ask what are the communication preferences. Just like we teach young lawyers, you communicate with your clients the way they want to be communicated. Some want snail mail letters. They don't care if it takes a week. There might not be that many there anymore. But um, for the young lawyer, their clients are the partners. And so they should, you know, you should have a conversation about, look, I expect you to be available, um, you know, and get back to me within two hours. I, I don't think it's reasonable, um, personally, I guess I'm showing my age here, to say, yeah, you can get back to me in the next day. If I have a question, I want, I want it answered. And I typically go straight to text, say, I have a question, please call me. Then wherever they are, they're going to get it, and they're going to call you back. And I usually don't ask about the background noise. As long as they have the answer to the question. <laughs> That's great too. And that ties in also with communication and expectations and also what the question is. Is it something, does your team expect that on one side may be thinking, you know, oh, in two hours, another person may be thinking 12 hours is fine. Have some more communication within your team about response times and particularly regarding on the sensitivity of the subject matter. Just as David talked about in the ethics opinion 498, the sensitivity of the communication comes into play is how we encrypt it and send it. So too, do you wanna think about sensitivity for messaging there? All of these are, are great points. 
before we turn to technology and securing data, do people have um, other thoughts that they want to chime in right now about office culture and improving uh, relationships and work-life balance before we turn to how tech can help us with these things as well? Um, I just want to share one thing drawing on, on what David said very early on with respect to checking into your employees. Um, as you, as we all know, there's a, a well-being problem in our um, profession, and a lot of people are struggling with isolation. So I, I have found that people are checking in more frequently with um, people in their organizations. And Brian Cuban, who's a recovering lawyer who spoke at our Future Law Conference, I think last year, um, provided just two quick questions, um, which I think is, is worth repeating here. So when you check in with a colleague, hi, how are you doing? We haven't talked for a couple of weeks. Um, and that's not a direct report necessarily or anything. It's just a check-in with someone there. And then um, before you end that conversation, make sure you let them know. I'm here if you ever need any help. Give me a call. Give me a jingle. I know this, this stuff is hard for all of us. And I, I thought that's really, really important. We do that. We, we convey that message in person in so very many ways, but um, virtually it's hard to, hard to say it. So we have to say it in words. And um, so I just wanted to share that. That is great. The importance of communication, being direct and upfront, really um, being goes back to your points earlier about being intentional and thinking your way through things. Fred, it looks like you have some thoughts on yeah, that. Just one thought is that uh, one area that we have not talked about and that I did put a little bit of materials is this workers' comp issue. Um, working remotely um, uh, and and uh, issues with people working remotely, is it you know, what, what is the course of, of your duties? And uh, there's a couple of great articles, a couple of great scenarios, fact patterns in some of the materials that I provided. One of them being where you had this requirement of uh, well-being or taking a break. And this woman, uh, or I think it was, uh, but associate, uh, takes a walk during their 15-minute break, um, which, was, which was part of work. And it, they were encouraging people to take a walk, falls down and puts a workers' comp claim in, uh, saying that it was in the course of my duties, I was keeping myself healthy, and, uh, and, and uh, so the workers' comp commissioner said no, that was not, it was a deviation, it was you know, from work, and the superior court said nope, part of work. And uh, so I'm not sure where all of that's gonna go, but uh, again, remote work raises a couple issues, risk management and also workers' comp, and so, you know, workers' comp is a, is, is a developing area in this whole thing. And uh, so, anyway, I just raised that as, as something that I, I had not thought a lot about that until I had read this article that I had uh, produced for the uh, for today's seminar. So, interesting stuff. I'm glad you brought that up. And that shows how our hybrid world is really creating a lot of novel situations that we wouldn't have thought about before for risk management. Who would have thought workers' comp would work 